0: there this is dennis anyone with dennis hensley it's a podcast about making things up and making things happen creative people how they do their thing how they hang in that's what i love to talk about today's guest is a recurring champion he's somebody that's been on the podcast before sam pancake he is a actor and a writer and he's got a really fun show coming up called pancakes from the edge it's inspired by his obsession with the film postcards from the edge and uh we get into all kinds of fun things in this podcast sam and i it's kind of like therapeutic like we're similar ages we've been around for a while uh he's more on the actor track i'm more on the writer track we commiserate a fair amount so um buckle up we get into a lot of stuff but before we get to that i want to remind you that you can become a subscriber to dnr studios and get these episodes two days early and it's also a way of showing support to the show Uh, You get my show and you get a bunch of other great shows that are part of the network. So you can learn about that at dnrstudios.com. And now here is the interview with Sam Pancake. Joining me via Zoom from his home in Los Angeles, it's Sam Pancake, Uh, my old friend, actor extraordinaire. Uh, Welcome back to the podcast. Um, Thank you. The last time we did this, it was a two-parter because we really got into it. We talked about rehab and all of that. Yeah.
1: Well, yeah. that was Yeah, that was up when I still lived at Busy Phillips's guest house, and we did it by the pool. We remember? did it
0: outside, lounging, and I'm like, this is a two-parter. We went there. Um, we did. We went deep. It was deep. It was deep and meaningful. And I just saw that you posted 10 years sober. That's fantastic.
1: Thank you. Yeah, and June 23rd, 2012, I, I was when I went into the emergency room. And yes, June 23rd, 2022, here, here I was a couple months ago, 10 years so, soberlicious.
0: I love it. Did it, does it feel like 10 years or did it fly by or did it feel like a long time?
1: The first looking back now, I am kind of blown away by how getting to know myself sober, like living 10 years sober, which I haven't, I hadn't done 10 years sober since birth to 10 years old, because right. I started drinking, you know, when I was like 16. Um It's, I, so much growth and discovery and epiphanies and good therapy and program. And, you know, I'm still a work in progress. But when I look back at early sobriety, Sam, like the first couple of years, I really was like a emotional toddler in a lot of ways, just like bumping around, mm. Figuring it out, all the feelings coming back, um, you know, as, as we all know, Facebook and our iPhones or whatever give us these pictures and these here's what happened, whether you like it or not. Right. And some of them I look back and I think that feels, oh, that 2014, 2015 feels 30 years ago where I'll look at things, you know, from 20, from 2006 or seven that feel like yesterday, you know, it's all a swirl. Does Facebook
0: but. ever bring back pictures from before you were sober
1: yes yes they don't do a lot of pictures of me but they do like uh, you know because I uh, yes I, I remember that up.
0: party or I remember that oh I remember the next day after that or whatever yeah it's so interesting yeah. right memory and nostalgia and Social media and all of it coming together. But, uh, and
1: how that was altered by, you know, COVID and whatever happened in the last two and a half years. Yeah. Which put even more of a time inside a blender, which in a way I'm, I'm grateful for. Because, I mean, I tend to bright side everything and be super optimistic and to a disgusting degree. Because as I say, if I wasn't, I'd have jumped off the bridge a long time ago. You have to be. I I, I, I was I was sort
0: of thinking about going and updating my dating apps and saying I'm looking for an optimist. Because I really feel like that is like that that's really kind of like a key thing, I think, for me now. Yes. it wasn't always. But me I need
1: exactly the same. Maybe we're getting mature in our right. in our young middle age, where you're young, my old middle age. Because I have I've had exes and I, I would seek out and be with guys. Who were just so like dark and stormy and moody, which seemed so sexy at the time. And right. then also I found them physically sexy, but it was just an exhausting chore. And now I absolutely require good. I just say good natured, like yeah. just that means a lot of things, but like a little like, bit sunny, a little sunny, kind. Yeah. Um, and um, affectionate, it doesn't even have to be, I'm, I'm not super PDA having the background I had, but like just, yeah, does it, it, it roll out of bed like, oh, everything sucks and this everything's worthless. And like, I don't need that to be around that anymore. I don't want to be around that anymore.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. I, and I've really just, I've really, um, in my sort of quest for optimism and happiness and kind of studying the science around all of that stuff. I've yeah. become really like I have no patience for complaining. I really, yeah. like in a way that almost is like not sunny. Like I want to shut it down. Like it's almost like I it's uh, uh, yeah, so it's something I'm looking at now. Like I I want to say to certain people in my life, I don't enjoy complaining. But I feel like the record would scratch in the space-time continuum. I feel like something would crack open right. <laughs> if I actually, if I actually said that out loud because people would be like, "You seem to have checked out a little bit or like whatever." And yeah, I don't know.
1: This is something I'm it's dealing with. It's funny. Well, as recently. as comedy people and creative people, and you're a writer and you write comedy, and you you're I mean you're not a stand up, but you're a comedic person to me. And I, I'm just saying that in terms of like there's something like when I've tried to stand up for storytelling, a lot of that comedy comes from complaining or yeah, sharing observation. You know funny dark observations with other people and I realized that I have some friendships that I've had to I'm in the process or I've already started or completed steering them into like let's just not sit and bitch at each other about life for two hours right I need
0: that script I feel like I need the script sometimes it's just certain people that I see from here here to there me too but but you know like sometimes when you're in a restaurant and somebody will come in and they'll give you a card that says I am deaf and I'm Whatever. Yeah, I feel like I just—I don't like complaining. Here's the card. <laughs> I don't That's know. I feel hilarious. like I—I I feel like it's sort of like—I don't know. I just don't. Yeah. It doesn't enjoy serve it. you anymore. I enjoy it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Um, Plus, what does it get us? You know. Yeah. It's 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 good to vent. It's great to to friends, but I I found myself especially after I got sober. First of all, I got rid of some of, some people like faded out of my life that were nothing but dark clouds of negative energy who were of an age over 50, let's say, to like get your shit together, get in therapy, get in program, work on yourself. You're, you're, in, if you're doing nothing but complaining, look at your life. And if they, this one person i'm thinking of didn't want to do any of that just wanted to to wallow and slop around in the mud hole of their misery and i'm like i got to go by i can't be around that shit right um and i have had to just you know it's fun to vent for a while but just sure. but it's just i don't want to be there either i save it for my therapist yeah you know and it's 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 good to have those close friends who like, I had two, yesterday was a day where two jobs I was really close on, I didn't get them. And they weren't huge deals, but I would have loved to have done them. And usually at this age and this level of experience and the, or, <laughs> or years clocks, you know, years, uh, mounted up in this show business career, I'm like, eh, I get over it. But for some reason, yesterday I took it really hard and I found myself going into self-pity. And, but then I pulled myself out of it. So I think right. that we both know how we're feeling and we want to get out of it is such an important step forward. And I think the next step though is which is harder for me, is being around the the funny, bitty, humorous complaining, because it's so easy for me to jump into that and not jumping into it. Mm. That's the challenge.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, because there there is a lot of that in comedy. It's part of it. Yes. Um, yeah. How I think if I were to talk to young people about pursuing anything in entertainment, I would say Figure out how to deal with disappointment. Have a toolkit. Yes. That's the name of the game, right? What have you learned about that?
1: It's, I, I've learned, I feel like it's my, the thesis of my life. I, I have come to that realization in the last few years where once I, I learned early on that, you know, I, I was told I didn't embody it, but I knew that I should work on not being attached to the results. Right. And I'm talking about <clears throat> auditioning or writing something and submitting it or going up on stage and try <clears throat> excuse me trying to be funny do it for the love of the game and the creativity and what you're learning about yourself and hopefully just i mean my goal is to like spread joy and laughter through entertainment storytelling comedy or whatever and you got to go forward and do that without being attached to the results that also goes for dating they might not like you back but that has been the Like I said, the leitmotif of my, my life lesson, I think has been like to quickly recover from disappointment. And I'm glad you said disappointment because again, yesterday I was, I had therapy yesterday. Luckily after this sad, this, this, you know, dumb, whatever, who cares, welcome to showbiz kid, but like, meh, I went to therapy. I was like sad about these things. And he was like, my therapist said, you know, it's the rejection. And I always say this, I don't feel like it's rejection feels like the wrong word to me. No. Because rejection is like, I would feel rejected if like I got cast, you're, you know, you're in the show, you're at the table read and you get fired. That's luckily not really happened to me. It happens to actors all the time. It's not, it's nothing personal. Usually it just is the creative collaboration of things. It's just not working. That to me feels like rejection. Auditioning, you know, throwing my hat in the ring, and then being told you're on the short list or you're on a veil, and then you don't get it. That feels like we love you still, you it, because you all we all know in show business how hard it is to get any little job, let alone make a living at this. So I can't label it rejection no. the way, but disappointment is what it is.
0: Yeah, because you don't get to do the thing.
1: It's yeah, not, you don't it's, it's not things. that I
0: feel like I'm I'm shitty and I'm not ugly and I'm the, right. I, it's more like ah, oh, I don't get to do the thing.
1: Yes. With the people and the money and the yes, fun. Yes. And the, I, just, I get to do the job I love. That's my thing now where I used to be much more like, I want to be recognized and I want to, you know, I I always learned to be an actor and sometimes for the wrong reasons. And a lot of it was my background of like, I was this little closeted gate and felt bullied and never listened to and, and was can never be myself. And now I want people to know who I am. I want my voice to be heard right. and recognized and great and I've had enough little tastes of, of the sweet nectar of semi-celebrity and you know I still I'm calling this up. podcast the sweet nectar of
0: semi-celebrity
1: <laughs> drizzled over a pancake sorry I even said that no, but it shouldn't true. be it's good <laughs> But anyway, so now I'm just like, I'm over all that shit. I don't care anymore. I just want to make a, a decent living. I want to have good, fun jobs to just to do the job, yes. to, to do my job, That's, my acting, That's the thing. Know?
0: Yes. And you have a fun show coming up that I, I would imagine some of these themes play into it. It's called Pancakes from the Edge, and yes. it's inspired by your obsession with the film Postcards from the Edge. So tell us about the show.
1: So... I have always loved this movie, Postcards from the Edge, which most, I think many of your listeners will know, because it's sort of a, it's not one of the, I, to me, it's one of the biggest, like, gay iconic movies, even though it has nothing to do with gay people. Right. But it is Shirley MacLaine and Meryl Streep. It's written by Carrie Fisher, based on her life with her mother, Debbie Reynolds. It's directed by Mike Nichols. It has this amazing cast. And I, when I first saw it in the theater in 1990, I just, like, Went back and saw it again. And before the days of streaming or even, you know, having the VHS or the DVD right away, I was like trying to memorize it and it resonated with me very deeply. It's about an actress who's get, who goes into rehab, but gets out of rehab and tries to rebuild her life with her very famous, um, musical comedy celebrity movie star mother. The daughter's also an actress. It's Meryl and Shirley. And I just, you know, I back then was when my... I, got my first jobs in 1990. I was like opening the door to showbiz. And I didn't realize later in my life, I would end up with a drug problem and in rehab and everything. So many things that happened in that movie happened in my life. And I can't even describe or explain exactly why, I'm, why I love it so much, but I just do. And it's a movie I always wanted to be a part of just like i think back then and now i want to be a part of like the rich tapestry of hollywood history and movie stardom and all that fun sparkly stuff i just you know was enthralled by as a child and a young person before i saw the bitter backside of all of it as we have now but anyway Blah blah blah. I did these videos, right? These lip-syncing videos. Yeah, they're amazing. In the movie, yeah, thanks. In 2020, and they really kind of went viral, and some of them really took off. Then, when we came out of everything, I'm like, I want to do a show about postcards from the edge. I don't know what it is. At one, at one point, I was like, I want me and Drew Drogie to do it. I don't know who would play who, or we switch off, but like one of us is Shirley Doris and one of us is Suzanne Merrill. But then I was like, Oh, I'll just uh, I'll do the lip-sync things. Great. And then, so what happened, what this show is, and pardon my long rambling description, I promise the show is more succinct. It's just characters and then a story loosely inspired by the movie. And it's directed by my friend Tom DeTrennis, who has really helped me shape the thing. It's three different characters who were all, to a degree, performers, there's an, there's, I I created this character named Viviana Wing, who's like a Faye Dunaway, Shirley McLean, um, a little bit of Elaine Stritch, a little bit like one of the old showbiz goddesses, being interviewed at a Turner Classic Movie Film Festival and reading from her autobiography, which I have Amazing. I've written for. And then Amazing. she does, and then what I do is, and anyone hearing this, I hope you'll, you, you can come up with a good title after, cause she's such a diva. She's very Faye Dunaway. And, um, after she reads from her autobiography, she says to the audience, give me a title for one of my movies and I will do a monologue from it. So they send and throws, you know, like strawberries for Helen or whatever. Right. And I'm like, 1956, I played Layla Degree and she was a, a, a milkmaid on a phone. And then I'll do the thing. So, because I love improvising crazy lady monologue, movie right? Monologue. So you
0: improvise a monologue in this show? Yeah. Wow. Yes.
1: I do three of those, and then I do another, another sketch of a woman auditioning for who's a very a woman inappropriately auditioning for Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? <laughs> and then the third character I came up with, I wanted to do something that was sort of, and I love him, and I say this with adoration. Sort of a Leslie Jordan character, cause Leslie's just persona. He's so him. And of course, I'm not that much like Leslie, even though apparently we have the same agent. But I, I, I spun this, like, sassy southern character guy. Not that I'm not one already. Um, as this young, this, this man who's, who, um, is one of these people who he's a medium and the angels talk to him and give him messages for people in the audience. So in that scene, I come, and it's as if the audience is this small town. I don't I don't I, I learned when I was developing the show, I wasn't gonna use the real people in the room and say, you know, hey friend of mine, this character says that you're gonna, you know, win the lottery or whatever. So I make everyone characters in the town and I go around and get and the angels come through me and and then the last one I tell a story about like when I dug deep to realize what this movie meant to me, how it all came together. And that's like the personal story I tell. And then it's that's also kind of a, my own tale of showbiz survival. And, you know, I'm still here, which is in the Sondheim song from Follies, which is also in Postcards from the Edge. And I did a little version of, my own little version of I'm still here. So that's oh, I
0: love it. So it's, Thank you. I thought it was going to be sort of like more of an analysis of the movie, a movie and kind of jokey. This sounds like it's, it's deeper and... Uh, the, the movie's sort of a point of departure for these other restaurants. It is,
1: and I need to be more clear about that in the marketing. I mean, I'm doing all this on my own. I'm yes. not a, I'm not a producer per se. I'm not a marketing professional. I've had so much great help from from friends, but it's one of these shows where you kind of, like, in Tom, DeTrennis and I, when he was helping, when he directed it, was helping me, he was like, we'll find the shape of this. So it's characters loosely based on the movie and the videos that I did are in between. That was another thing. Yeah, I think people just...
0: remember the videos. That's why I, assumed it's going to be more
1: like that. Yeah. 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 So the videos are interstitial to these characters and then there's something that pulls it all together at the end.
0: I love it. Did you ever meet any of the postcard principals in life? Shirley, uh, Surely? Meryl, Surely. uh Carrie, Debbie, like, did you have brushes with them?
1: I, I remember, I'll never forget seeing Debbie Reynolds being interviewed at the Egyptian before a, uh interview, before the screening of Singing in the Rain. This wasn't too, it was like, it wasn't too long before she passed. It was maybe like, no, maybe about 10 years. And she was so, Shirley MacLaine plays the character Doris Mann based on Debbie Reynolds in Postgres from the Edge. And some of the, literally the lines that Doris Mann's character says come out of Debbie's mouth, came out of Debbie's mouth at the screening. I've also seen her at another screening at the Bowl, I've never met her. I came this close to meeting Carrie on the red carpet. My friends wrote that one of those sorority row movies, the one that she was in. Yeah, And I am still kicking myself for not going out. I easily could have introduced myself. Surely I've met twice and had interesting encounters with. Yeah. Um, uh, one was at this a table read for a movie my friend wrote that never happened, that surely kind of commissioned him to do. And this is a whole other story for a whole other show, but... I was at this table where he playing the minor parts along with Betty White, Shirley MacLaine, Richard Dreyfuss, Damon Wayans, Eddie Griffin, Tanya Pinkham, Tanya Pinkins, uh, Kevin Chamberlain, four-time, I don't know if you know Kevin, like he's one of our pals, four-time Tony nominee. It was an amazing afternoon, and Richard Dreyfuss was a half an hour late, and Shirley let him have it. It was a day I'll never forget. See, that feels like just a few days ago. Whereas, you know, <laughs> yesterday feels a long time ago.
0: Wow. And the project never came to fruition.
1: It never came to fruition, Sally.
0: Wow. Was she sensational in the reading? Was she like, oh my God? Were you kind of, or were they like, oh, these are just actors that are good? Or
1: was there something special about her? It was interesting to be in the room because it was, it was at Mike, it was at whatever Mike, the producer Mike Metavoy it was at his offices. I remember that. And it wasn't a very big room; it was like a conference room. And because Dreyfus was half, at least half an hour late, we were just sitting around talking. And I don't know if you know this about Shirley, but I, I learned a few times she doesn't like small talk. No small talk for Shirley. Right. But she'll get right into it. I also had an experience where I was at a benefit once. When it was during, it was not long after when we did Love Spring International together. Yes. Which Dennis 2005,
0: wrote on 2006, I think. Yes. Yeah. Except
1: this was at six or seven when Wendy and I were asked to go to a benefit and Shirley, they're honoring Shirley. And Jennifer Lewis gave Shirley the award. Um, And I remember Jay, I think Jane, it was like the Love Spring crew. Jane was there and Lynch and Plotnick were there and Wendy, McClendon-Covey. And Wendy and I, for some reason, and her husband, Greg, I got taken to meet Shirley at once. And we were like, oh, it's so nice to meet you, Ms. McLean." da 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 and I was like, I was terrified to meet you there. She's like, What's terrifying about me? Why were you terrified? Let's talk about that. And I was like, Oh, um, well. And we were just like at the silent auction area having canapes and drinks, and she wanted to get super intense right away. Right. Um, and I just remember bubbling, just like stammering and stuttering, being like, Well, you know, I love you so much, and I love your movies. And she's like, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it, it was it, she was she's a formidable figure. Yes, and I'm glad She's still working. I was so happy to see her on Only Murders in the Building. Delightful. Yeah,
0: she's still with us. I forgot about Love Spring until you just said that. Like I hadn't <laughs> thought about it in a while. What's your favorite memory of that show? It was a dating, yep. It was a comedy about a dating service in Tarzana, and yeah. uh, I, I got to be one of the writers on it along with Guy Shalem, who uh, created yes. it, and uh, Jack Plotnick was in it. Jennifer Conch, oh, Shane Lynch, Wendy McLean. The
1: funniest. Someone posted something recently, and I was like, oh, someone, you know, everyone saw people will post stuff from shows you did. And, like, you're in this. I'm like, I know. Uh, I, I loved improvising. I loved improvising. It was exhausting, as you know. We had really long days, and it was – we would have the um, – like, in Curb Your Enthusiasm, we would have the outline of the script and then improvise. And Jane and Wendy and Jennifer Cox and Jack, oh, my God ace improvisers. I particularly loved my scenes with Jane because she was so mean to my character and I was terrified and, and really asked kissy to hers. And then Wendy and I had to be so mean to each other. And I had really just met her before we started doing it. And I loved her and still love her so much. And I would always be like, we would be like, here we go. We're going to be mean to each other. Then afterwards would be like, I love you. let just saying like nasty things. Those are my favorite members. And also hanging out with Alanis Morissette, who was one of the guest she stars. She did a remember? guest
0: star. Yeah. That was so random. I feel yeah. like that show, like in the streaming era, I feel like that show would have had more of a life or gotten to get to make more of them or something like that. But,
1: yeah. Completely. I, it was a great it experience. Would, it would run three, three, four seasons now on, you know, HBO Max or Hulu or Netflix or something, I feel like.
0: All of that stuff. Um so you're a regular on one of my other favorite shows, but I'm way behind a Million Little Things.
1: But yeah. I, I oh, I'm a, I'm a recurring. I'm a, I recurring, wish I were a regular. regular. I
0: know I got to get those things straight. You're recurring because I know that I mean, means a big that makes a big difference in terms of all of it, the money and everything. All else. All of it, baby. Um, but I love that your name is Carter French. Like that tells you everything. Like, oh, we're gonna have you play Carter French. I got it. I got
1: it. Right. Well, the, the funny thing is his name was Carter because DJ Nash had written. This is my memory, which sometimes is not a hundred percent on. But before a million little things, DJ Nash, he's been really good to me. He saw me audition a million years ago for the first thing he did. And he was like, I'm going to, once I can put people in things, I'm going to put you in things I do. And he's kept his promise and I'm so grateful. And he's such a good guy. And before a million little things, he wrote a, a, a sitcom pilot that was in my memory it was based on kind of the Grace's character. It was a it was in a female um attorney who was in I think it's based on when DJ and his wife back in the day when he lived in Boston, she lived in New York, but they were still married or dating. It was like about that. And in the script, DJ was like, I wrote this character for you, I hope you can do it because you know network, you never know if you're gonna get to do the thing. And his name was Carter. And so when I reached out to, I'm not afraid to reach out to, to, to showrunner friends and say, Hey, I love your show. I'd like to be in it. Or yeah. what's going on? So, so, throw so a dog a bone over here because you have to, if this, one has to eventually, you know? Um, and I mean, I have, I had to, I don't know about anyone else. So when a million little things happened and it was like the first pilot, I wasn't in the pilot. I was like, Hey, is there any place for me in the show? He's like, actually there is. It's the assistant to Grace Park's character. Um, what, what do you want his name to be? Because I think it was another name or it was written for a woman or something. It wasn't fully, I forget. But I said, how about Carter? Like the other one, he's like, yeah, Carter. And then a couple of seasons in, they had to pick a last name for me. And he jokingly said, what do you want your last name to be? French Toast? And I said, actually, it would be funny if it's French. You know, just as a nod to Pancake French Toast. Right. So that's why his name is Carter French.
0: I love it. Well, it's a it's a name that, Pops, as they say, I, I interviewed so. DJ. I occasionally do EPK interviews for ABC. Right. And I interviewed DJ about that show, and I, I told him that I knew you. And and, all, and he was like, oh, Sam, he was all about you. And oh, DJ, and I was like, Oh, and Sam does the mismatch. Game. He goes, Why? I want to do it. He wanted to do Ray Romano at the mismatch game. And I've actually reached out to him, but he can never do it.
1: Well, he's so busy all the time. Yeah, he's a yeah. oh showrunner. He'd be perfect. Yes, he'd be great at that.
0: Yeah, he's and does so a solid great. Ray Romano, who I. Who is my sexy crush. I think Ray Romano's hot.
1: Oh, I agree. And also, he played my friend Lauren Graham's, like, love interest for a minute on Parenthood. Yes. And so I met him a couple times. And he's one of those guys. I, I also worked with Brad Garrett on Till Death, which DJ worked on. Full, full circle. circle. And Brad Garrett, I was kind of like, because I, I didn't really watch Everyone Loved, Everybody Loves Ray. It was just on all the time, so I'd seen it. And But I met Brad Garrett, and I was like, heart's in my eyes. He's really, stone. Brad Garrett? Oh, my God, y'all. He is so charismatic and sexy and amazing and kind and wonderful in person. And then Ray, I met him through through the Parenthood gang. And, like, same thing. Like, you know, these are the straightest men alive, obviously, but so cool. And just, like, those voices. Oh, my God. Yeah, Ray's fucking I sexy. I think
0: Ray Romano is a sex symbol. I know. I, I know. Yeah, yeah. I do. So, Agreed. You just shot an episode of The Goldberg, so you were reunited with Wendy after Love Spring. What was that like? Yes, yes. Well, I didn't get to work with Wendy. Oh, she wasn't in I, your
1: scene. This will be Scenes. on after it airs, right? right. Because I, my episode airs tonight. Yeah, this I, so,
0: up for a little while.
1: Right. So I, I play the obstetrician to to um to uh, Haley's character. Um. Oh my God, I'm blanking on the names. The daughter. That's okay.
0: The daughter. That's all right
1: daughter so she's she's married now which everyone knows and and they're having a baby she's pregnant with with sam lerner who plays her husband and um erica erica's the daughter's name duh and I, you know, Wendy wasn't in my scenes because it's just me and them. And there's like three different scenes of them going to the doctor and the obstetrician, the ultrasound and everything. So I don't know if I get to come back. I would like that. You know, maybe I get to deliver the baby. I have no idea. The baby could have already been delivered by this, by today, September 28th when we're recording this. I don't know. That could have developed already. But I really want to come back and, you know, and Wendy and I talk and stuff. And, I, and she knows I would love to come back and I would love to do something with her and all of our other pals like stephanie courtney and jennifer Irwin and mindy sterling and um and who uh steven tobolowski i was catching up on the show before i shot it and i'm like everyone has been in this and it's um it's been it was so much fun and i i but i but sam and and hayley were so great we had such a good time
0: and that show's been on a long time i like that show i think it's got hard yeah. i think it's funny
1: Yeah. That's the thing about being on a million little things or jumping into something like the Goldbergs. It is a well oiled machine, well oiled network machine. And it is such a pleasure because everyone knows what they're doing and it runs so smoothly. And there, there's some, well, I can only really speak a million little things, like some behind the scenes changes, but like everyone knows what they're doing because some of these things, and I'm grateful for any job, but you jump onto a new show that's just going on streaming. And let me tell you, it can be chaos. It can be like they're all figuring it out i won't name any names but um you know especially shows that were just starting going and then COVID happened and then you go oh man i've had some wacky experiences let me tell you she
0: just got to run with it i guess oh heck yeah,
1: yeah. i'm a mil- you know me dennis i'm 107
0: years old you're I'm aging a- really well sam every I'm time i myth. see pictures of you i'm like he is aging so well so well, kudos.
1: Here's what no one wants to hear. Um, well, of course, so definitely some maintenance goes in because I'm a vain gay actor man, but also it's, it's the no drinking and drugs really helps. Yeah. Sorry about it. I had a, I mean, not sorry about it, but like it's, it was not this great. It was, it was there's a, I saw, so, yes. As to your point earlier, I'm now remembering there usually it's me with my nieces and nephews when they were little. Right. A picture will come up that I posted because of my nieces and nephews like we're trick-or-treating. And it'll pop up from like oh seven or eight or nine. I'll be like, Who is that bloated giant, unhealthy, hungover, red-eyed, puffy? Like monster with them. What costume is that? Oh no, it's me. It's just slightly drunk at Halloween, super hungover from the prior night's cocaine and vodka. Uncle Sam with the children.
0: <laughs> there it is, though. There it is. Uh, you could do another show about that stuff. Um, I yes, yeah. Now you've got a movie that you made uh, with Chris Pine, the delicious Chris Pine. Oh my God, what yes. is
1: it? Oh my God. Okay, so. You know I can't obviously can't tell a short story. I'm trying. Yeah, go ahead. Chris, so the movie's called Pool Man. It was written by Chris Pine and his writing partner Ian Gottler. Chris stars in it, and Chris directed it. Is he the and pool he, man? He's the pool man. Oh my gosh, honey.
0: Say no more. Honey. Chris Chris Pine is the pool man. I'm buying a ticket. It, thank you. How short are the shorts?
1: Not short sure well, The one the, he had someone he came to Golden Girls and yeah. I. I can tell you they were pretty short. Okay, good. Um, it's all uh, talk about oh my God, he's so just, he's the whole thing the kindness, the coolness, the like just hot without being remotely obnoxious. Of course, I've only been around him three times now. That's all. Anyway, the movie is, it is, and I think I'm allowed to say all this because it's been on deadline. Also, Danny DeVito, Annette Benning, Wanda DeWise, Jennifer Jason Leigh, Stephen Tobolowski, who, who I'd done Will & Grace with a million years ago. And it's, Chris's character gets, it's kind of a modern day Chinatown. His character, like in, in a sunsplash kind of neo-noir current day L.A., his character gets involved with political corruption in L.A. And one of the scenes takes place at the Golden Girls Live, which at the at the Cavern Club, but we shot it at Clifton's Cafeteria downtown in that giant room with the so red tree. that
0: in the present day, and this noir story takes his character to a Golden
1: Girls Live show? Yes. I'm not going to say much more than that. Wow. but But it, it came to be that Ian, his... Chris's writing partner had seen us. A friend took him. He watched the live streams over um, COVID. And then he, I guess he'd never seen Golden Girls before. He said, I binged all seasons of Golden Girls over COVID. And I said to Chris, we have to put them in this movie. So we are in the movie. And the the, then the, we the were, same people
0: that do the, the live show. It's not that, the same.
1: I, I'm not going to give too much away, okay. but at least three of us, including okay. definitely me. Um, just because of the way, because one of the characters in the movie is also plays one of the Golden Girls in this story. I got you. Okay. So, um, I'm blank. Oh, so, so we knew in August we were doing the Golden Girls live episode where Burt Reynolds shows up at the end. Yeah. Um, which real Burt Reynolds comes in. So we're asking our friends to do, you know, celebrity friends to do like a cameo. Speaking of Stephanie Courtney, flow from Progressive was one of them. Right. So other, you
0: never know who's going to show up at the door as an audience.
1: Exactly. One. So when we were shooting in G- in July, I said to my other Golden Girls, uh, I was like, if Chris is cool and the vibe is right, and I'm going to ask him if he'll be Burt Reynolds, I don't give a shit anymore. So afterwards, he and, he and his writing partner were so nice and kind. They were thank you so much. That. One thing led to another. And I said, hey, we're, do you want to come play Burt Reynolds? We're doing... The one where Burt Reynolds shows up at the end, and Chris was like, "Sure." And you, m- movie stars are busy. Movie stars can say a lot of things, and then their assistants yeah,
0: call my say, person and shut you down.
1: Yeah, yeah, honey. Long story short, it all happened. Chris fucking Pine showed up at seven o'clock on Sunday, the, the, the whatever it was, eighth of August, the, the day after his birthday. Just like, hey guys, where do I change? Hey, everybody. knew all his lines were perfect. Off book. Off book completely did a great job. It was literally one week before all that. Don't worry, darling. Yeah. um, Which was people were doing these memes and shit. It was, he was just amazing. He changed with us in the dressing room back there. He brought his own wardrobe. He was just, he came alone. He, Ian, the writing partner came to watch. it, And I think he had friends come to watch, but like, he was just like, Hey guys, just I'm here for the
0: the show. I'm here. I'm just like, I'm just like you. I'm just changing it like, in the alley the-
1: or whatever it is. <laughs> right? You know the you know the conditions in these small theaters. I so love it. It was it. a dream. It was a dream.
0: Did the audience lose their mind? Like, is that
1: Chris Paul? They couldn't... Ha- so I had... There were four friends I had who got... Because that night was already sold out. But then we would more tickets. I had four friends. I was like, Chris is going to be there that night. I didn't tell anyone else. Maybe a couple other people. But they knew. And they were just like... People at first put together. And he came in, because his hair's really long now. Yeah. Or it was then. And, you know, I guess it was at that premiere, too. Anyway, people, when they they lost their... They eventually... Because it's the, at the very end, and he's only on stage for, like, four or five lines. But then at the end, when they renounce all the names, it's like Chris Pine, it's Burt Reynolds. People, that's when they really lost their shit. Because I think before that, people were like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> and he even sat and watched the show in this special chair we had for the celebrity Burt's. Yeah. So I think some people kind of clocked it. But, like, it was it was crazy. It was people... And then he's like, you know, so great, so cool. Thanked us, slipped out through the back door and into the and into the night of,
0: and into the night. So, started. but afterwards, he was like, guys, that was fun. I'm glad. Yeah, I'm glad. Yeah, I, he, was he was great.
1: He was great. Um, he was just a dream.
0: This is something that I want to talk to you about: is the way your Hollywood career intersects with the shows that you do for fun, and you make some money on the Golden Girls live stuff, the Mismatch Game, the Casita Del Campo stuff. How did they? complement each other or exist concurrently or or not
1: it's i <clears throat> a lot of the things i've written um the, the the solo shows which even this post pancakes from the edge my friend casey's in it too with smaller parts like supporting parts so it's not a true solo show but the solo shows i've done was just me talking autobiographically i've some of them have started because i needed wanted to make a little extra money but then also i was like i want i tell my stories to people about either my crazy wacky way. I grew up with a little pancake in West Virginia or my last now 35 years as an out gay actor in Hollywood. And people are like, you should write a book. You should do a show. Well, as you well know, Dennis, sitting down and typing out a, a book is very tedious. Right. And, but, and I love to do, so I wrote them as shows. And so that's how I did them. And I have to, especially the one about my career, I have to keep kind of amending. I've done it a few different. I did a before when I was still drinking version, which didn't touch on my drinking and drug problem because I wasn't ready to acknowledge I had one. And the version I've gone after is mixes in like what I was really going through with drugs and alcohol in my personal life during doing and filming these different things. Um, They've, they've, they've complimented, normal TV and regular TV and film work. And that like, I get to tell who I am. I like to talk about myself. I like to tell a story. Um, they've given me an outlet that, you know, just playing doctors and, or wacky sidekicks or assistants on TV. Doesn't give you the money's great, but you don't get to, you know, sing your soul to people. Um, and then golden girls has been, it's been nice because people really enjoy it. We make cute money. And then, you know, this is the first time something's happened where someone put us in a movie. And we are, I'll be honest with you, we're, we're, we had, the Cavern Club had to shut down for renovations in August. So we, a week before we opened, had, that was another part of the wacky excitement this past August. We had to find a new theater in a week. And the Lyric Hyperion came to our rescue. I was set to do this post Pancakes from the Ed show over Labor Day. I had to move it to Lyric Hyperion in October. Um, so there's a lot of changes and stuff going on in August about Golden Girls. So we, we're now taking a look at what we want to do next, and we're going to keep doing it here in LA, and we're also looking at maybe doing it other places. Um, and it's it's been I'm you know I didn't think we'd be we've been doing it eight years now, and I didn't Amazing. think. Isn't that crazy? How many
0: episodes have you guys done?
1: Well, we've repeated some of them, and someone asked me this last week, and I can't even say. I would say about oh my God, twenty different episodes. That's that's just a guess. I, I I can usually remember specifically things that happened on TV and movie stuff because it doesn't happen that much and usually it's very memorable. But Golden Girls, my God, it's just a blur. It's an eight-year blur of of guest stars and episodes and the Cavern Club. This recent one was the first time we, not counting Palm Springs. We we did it once in Palm Springs. This is the first time we did it not at the Cavern Club. Um, so, and with these special celebrity guest stars. So I'll, I'll remember that one.
0: Yeah, for no, sure. For sure. Um, have you ever gotten this vibe? I've gotten it a bit. Like, when I do my personal, small-scale gay stuff, sometimes I'll get this feeling, like, from people that are more established that, like, oh, that's not good for your Hollywood thing, or it's not mm-hmm. serious, or it's sending a message. It's ghettoizing you. Like, the ground zero for yeah. this is the Outfest Filmmaker Party. Uh, up, in, It's usually up in the hills at some fancy A-list gay's house. I've and, never and, been invited. No, I know this. and occasionally there will be other A-list gay Hollywood people there. Yeah. Then it's ostensibly the Filmmaker's Party, but the A-gays don't want your postcard. They're not going to see your film. They want to fuck the twink in the pool. Yeah, And there's almost like, good luck with your little Outfest thing. It's almost yeah. a little patronizing thing. And I'm wondering yeah. if you've ever felt the equivalent of that as an actor.
1: Yes. Yes. I, I have made my peace with that. I Some, you know, celebrities come and watch us and do our little things in the basement there. I have made my peace with the fact that I want to, at least this is how I feel today... We'll see if that that may change. As we know, we go through a lot of changes. I want to be just a working character, comedy mostly, but I'll take whatever you got for me, actor till I drop. I want to be one of those guys or ladies you saw in the movies and TV your whole life who were like in everything. And I, have, again, made my peace with the fact that because I never got the sitcom that took off, I never got the big, you know, I never, I was all, one thing without naming names, I was always out. I came out here, and I am like, I'm always going to be out. It wasn't – it was a different situation in the 90s where, like, you were constantly told – I was constantly told, don't do that, but job. They weren't writing roles to create characters. I was casting people telling me I was too light and too, you know, too – Right. Optimisms for gay. They would
0: write – L-I-T-L on your headshot, which meant light lighting the, light the loafers.
1: All of that. Yeah. So I was just like, whatever. I want to enjoy my life and I'll right. It out. Right. I want to be who I, I am. am. It's not, I want to be who I am. Yeah. I don't have the energy. I did that for the first 21, 22 years of my life before I moved to LA of it's exhausting. I was, I would kill my, I would literally, I'm not exaggerating. I would have, I would be dead. Yeah. Like, if not by my own hand, but like slowly by through drinking drugs and alcohol, which almost happened anyway. So one of my big come to Jesus is after I got sober was like, I'm going to, you know, day at a time, I'm going to be happy. I'm going to do what brings me joy. And I've never worried too much. I've had so many people, when I think about it, come to shows and give me celebrity stars, whatever, straight gay or whatever, give me such props and feedback. And I've had so many younger people, gay people in their 20s and 30s. Say lovely things to me. People that I didn't even wouldn't even be aware that knew who I was or that I was gay. I'm not going to say some that, so I'm not going to say who it is just because I didn't get their permission. But I've had I've had Facebook messages and voice uh, emails from people that makes me cry. That have been like, I saw you on this thing, and I just started UCB, and I was like, that's a gay guy who does improv and comedy. So would be like during the thousands. I've had enough good support that I won't, I don't give a fuck about the the snobby A-list gays. Some of them don't understand how lucky they've been. A lot of them came out after they were famous. You know, this is prior to 10 years, five, 10 years. Like, I am who I am. I've got the career I got. I'm proud of the work I do. Some hottie on Twitter the other day, like, from Scotland, frickin', Frickin' DM, he was like, I looked you up. You <laughs> tried to use a Scottish accent. You've been on every television show there is, you've been on every motherfucking television show ever. I think that was
0: more Irish. <laughs> I, I love was like, it. I, I can listen to the rest of the interview with that accent. I love it
1: anyway. I can't believe all the stuff you've been on. Yeah, and I was like, You're welcome. Um, I mean, thank you, but it's um, I, I don't know. I'm Sam Pancake. I always had a weird name, I always knew it was going to be a weird life, I always knew. You know, I constantly, not so much anymore, but sometimes asked, you know, what's it like to have been a gay actor, an out-gay actor all this time? This is one of the reasons I did the show Um, called Wasted on a Boy, which is about my, you know, career as an out-gay actor. Um, But, yeah, I just, and I'm old enough now that I'm like, fuck these kids. If they're going to be dicks about my comedy stuff. But also the thing now is like all these young people, I'm thinking of Joel Booster, Joel Kim Booster and Matt Rogers or pick one. All these young guys and, and women and non binary people who are who start with stand up and writing and their persona and then they then they break into, you know, the next level of And they're getting writers. that Netflix money. They're getting that they Netflix, get Netflix money, money and that Hulu money. Like it's And they still do the cl- I mean I yeah. think I don't know. They still do the clubs and stuff. Yeah. Like I've been It's different. It's changed. It's different now. Yeah, so, but, but it's because of people like you. And yeah, yeah. And also, the thing that, something I, well, I, I, I won't tell this story because I didn't get his permission, but never mind. Oh, I'm so titillated. I'm so titillated. Well, well I won't say his name. there's was there's a, a, a gay character actor, one of the very few, L.A. guy. The other thing about me was, uh, me coming up, there weren't any older gay actors and out performers and comedians that could be my role models, and there just weren't because it was AIDS and people were dying or sick or they were in the closet. And I knew a couple of people, and and I didn't go to New York because I don't sing and dance. And there were those people there, but here I kind of you felt I kind of felt like I was on my own. But there are a couple of older gay actors, a little bit older than me, who have been working, who you know. And I remember one of them saying to me, and he's a friend, he's been great to me. Not everyone has been, but whatever. Um, he said, I go to these fancy A-list gay parties with execs and agents and managers and stuff, all these like, or casting people. And he's like, they're so mean to me and they're so nasty. Why are they so mean? And I realized, this is him saying, he's like, I realized, oh, and he's like, I have my little condo I bought. They have these mansions and they have these lives. Yeah. And they clearly have quote unquote one. Why are they so mean? And then I realized all of them came out here to be actors they were all gay men who came out here to be actors, and they didn't get to do that, and they wanted to do that. So they're rubbing their money, you know, they're they're uh, comforting themselves with their money and their houses and everything. He's like, I don't want all that. I'm happy being who I am, and that's how I feel. Right. And and I'm like, yeah, I can name names of some of these older gay writers, producers, directors, behind the scenes people who've been so fucking nasty to me, and many who have been great. Um, so that's <laughs> my little <laughs> mission. One of my missions in life is to be to be um, a good, older, gay, you know, as I'm aging. Well, I can't say I'm a role model or anything, obviously, but, like, come to me for, for advice. I, I'd be happy to help. I do this to my kids. I have so many friends in their 20s and 30s, and I just try to, you know, be a good older brother that way. Um, I think it's important.
0: So much has changed in this landscape, and it's kind of amazing. And I had something happen recently that I was watching, my my roommate was watching Grace and Frankie, and yeah. the scenes with Martin Sheen and Sam Watterson, I found hilarious that, they, that they're playing, I, just hilarious to see them try to be gay or whatever. Like, it's, it's, it used to be like, oh, they're so cool that they're doing it. Now I'm embarrassed for them. And they're brilliant actors, but I'm a little embarrassed. Like, oh, they're going to be squinchy about it. They're a little squishy. They're going to be fussy. You know what? I'm not. I don't know. I've never sucked a dick, but I can be fussy. So I'm going to do that. I don't know. There's something about when you look at those things, they're a little, they're a little scrunchy, or it makes me laugh. I'm like, I don't. I'm not offended, but I watch those scenes and I laugh out loud at their. Oh,
1: look at the way he's putting his foot. That's so. You're laughing for (laughs) the wrong reasons. Yes. Bless their hearts. Now the next wave is like for the Grace and Frankie. For those of us in their fifties, when we're in our seventies or eighties whatever, they'll be like the people, hopefully like me or our friend Plotnik or whoever, Drew Drogi playing these these roles. You know, Alec Mappa. Yes, like, get Victor Garber or whatever. It yeah. yeah, and it's so, yeah, it's funny to me. My the thing that makes me sit back and go well is when i see a a straight guy who i have worked with back in the day in the thousands or whatever who i knew were not like actively bullying homophobic but definitely didn't want to like change in the same room like i was at a fitting once with this actor and they were like for this series i was on it wasn't Love spring obviously
0: Yeah, because there are no dressing rooms.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Like, barely a folding chair in Canoga Park. Yeah. This, this like, guy going, because it was, like, at a fitting, and they were like, oh, guys, boys just go in there and put these on. Let's try these on really fast. It was like, and this straight guy went out of his way to go so far away from me to change and I thought these guys don't they might not understand that I understand what's going on because I've had to deal with it my whole fucking life and I've been through so many like good-natured to you know non-consensual like pretending to you know butt fuck me you know like all this like horseplay like and also these other guys that I've known going back to us including this guy I was in the fitting room with good guy I like this guy he's like a movie star now who was so squinchy and cringy about gay stuff and kind of like low key homophobic now playing a guest star as a boyfriend and having to kiss a guy on TV. I will tell you who this is after we finish this. I've seen it a couple of times. I was like, Oh, this person's come a long way to, to be a guest star on the show, to play the boyfriend of this person, have to kiss the actual gay man on the mouth. Um, I've known that happen a few times and that's to me, I'm like, and it's so satisfying that I, you know, I would never say anything. I would never name names in my future memoir. Or maybe I will. But it's just like, so just to say, we have come a really long way. Yeah.
0: I mean, I watched Grace and Frankie when it first came out, and I was fine with them. Like, I, good they got those great actors. And now yeah. I look at it, and it makes me laugh. I make, I'm a little embarrassed. And so something shifted. Um, and yeah. I, yeah. It's just like, I think Maybe we used to be like, like oh, like, let's get the gay... The straight actors can play the gay characters. That gives them credibility. Now, it under. I think it undermines the project. I mean, it depends on the role. It depends on the actor. But as a general rule, it completely. undermines the integrity and the creativity, and it just feels weird.
1: Well, now, if they were cast now, you would hope that they would get older gay men. Like, you yeah. know, actual gay men, or at least queer, whatever. Whatever the kids are saying. Yeah. now I think that's why...
0: You appeared recently on one of my favorite podcasts, Love It or Leave It, with John Lovett. Oh yeah, I kind of want to be his friend, but I'm also afraid of it. I'm afraid that I'm afraid to do that. I'm afraid that he wouldn't want to be my friend. But anyways, you talked about people hitting on you in Sophia um, Petrillo oh, drag, yeah. like this is the phenomenon. So there are there are Sophia chasers.
1: I, I guess so. I was specifically requested to leave it on for two different guys, who one of who I. One of who I was hooking up with and hooked up with, I didn't leave it on. One was a woman who, like, getting with a picture of me, she was drunk and she kissed me on the earth. And then she tried to make out with me, like, aggressively on the bench outside Cavern Club between shows. I was fucking smoking. I used to sm- back when one of my smoking periods, which I'm out of now. And I'm like, that was so weird. And then another guy who I met at the show who came out afterwards and he was like, oh, my God, I'm so, sounds so obnoxious for me to say. I couldn't believe it. We're still in, (laughs) me and this guy are still in touch. I will say that much, but I, he was like, I want (laughs) to, can I tell this story? Yes, please. He was like, I want to take, I want to go home with you now. I was like, it was the end of a very long golden girls run. This is right before COVID before we knew about COVID. I was stinky and sweaty and wig hair and makeup and just disgusting. And, And he was like, I'll take you home. And I'm like, no, I don't want to be just like this. I have to get out of this drag. I have to, like, he was like, leave it on. I don't care. And I was like, I care.
0: (laughs) Yeah. He was ready. He needed it then.
1: Yeah. Well, it's like, it's got to be a two-person experience. Right. Uh, Unless there's money changing hands, I'm not above it. Right. Um, (laughs) Slide into my DMs if you want the the... The sex worker Sophia Petrella experience. Right. I don't. I don't think that's legal for me to say. So I'll just pretend I'm joking.
0: Yeah, you're totally joking. Um, <laughs> what's the What's the key to tapping into Sophia for you?
1: Um, she's a man, she's a cranky, <laughs> she's a cranky old Italian American man. I remember when I first started it. Uh, doing it, I was trying to find her because, as we know, Estelle is very one note, and Estelle just does that one thing, yeah, and she 's just kind of God bless her and she was having her health problems even then but it 's very she 's just that little fire plug, solid steady rah, 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 fire plug that 's kind of grounding to the other three to a degree, you know, but that wasn 't as much fun for me to play on stage when i 'm up with the, the towering, and I mean that literally. Height wise, because of high heels and their men of Drew Drogie, Sherry Vine, and Jackie Beat. And I'm like, I gotta, I can't just be like, ba-da-da-da, <clears throat> I was like, so how it all works out now is Drew and I are off in our own universes the Rose universe and the Sophia universe. Jackie and Sherry are doing like amazing, almost completely, absolutely spot on with their own extra sauce of Blanche and Dorothy. So, but initially, when I first started Sophia, I remember, fuck, I think it was John Cantwell. Uh, love Connie said, you know, you, you sound like Gilbert Gottfried. And I was like, so mad. And I was like, no, I don't. And then I was like, oh, I kind of do. And then I'm like, it is. And, and you know, this is long before he, we lost him. RIP Gilbert Gottfried. Um, speaking of podcasts I love. Um, he, I was like, I guess a little bit Gilbert Gottfried. And it's a little bit just like. My, and the reason I chose it is because I chose Sophia because Jackie and Sherry were going to do this. She went rose or Sophia. And I said, well, Sophia, I could keep my beard if I needed to because and then put makeup over it if I had to keep it for work, which has happened a few times. Sophia has a beard. Um, so and it's just like and I don't have to do a lot of makeup, you know, it's just the the, the base and the wrinkles and even the wrinkles I don't even do anymore. Jackie and Sherry were like, you don't need to do the wrinkles. And I was like, why didn't you tell me this years ago? <laughs> <laughs> they like, we're doing glamour versions. You can do the glamour version. I'm like, thank you, I will. And now glamour, I use that very loosely is when it comes to Sophia.
0: Does the scheduling ever give you anxiety? Like, what if I book a big movie and I have Golden Girls? Like, like are all of you guys thinking of that stuff? Because you guys book it
1: things me, all the time. It gives me constant anxiety. Yeah. It's a huge part of my anxiety twice a year when we do it. And I've only missed a couple because of... I remember one week in whenever that year was, 15 or 16 or 17, I was doing Gilmore Girls during the day, the reboot, and Golden Girls at night. And one of them, I couldn't make it because I was working. Um. So Drew and I both have missed nights. It gives Drew and me both lots of anxiety. And I just sit there and I bite my fucking nails every time.
0: What is the bond that you feel with other sort of comedic people that do this kind of thing, that are juggling them both, and you work with them on this thing, and then you don't see them for a while, and you work with them again. It's
1: a community, isn't it? Absolutely. It's the shorthand. Like, I just ran into Tom Link, who we know and love and we've worked with. And, you know, especially since COVID, we don't see all the people we are used to seeing a lot. And, like, I ran into Tom at a party, and it was perfect. It was so great to see him and reconnect with him. And, you know, we know we'll see each other again. And it's nice. That's the nice thing about age and having been here a while and having all this wonderful community is the shorthand of just you know Tom Lank Plotnick, um, Drew, obviously Drew and, and these other people. I could just dive in tomorrow and do whatever we had to do. Danielle Gaither, Julie Brown, any of these you know any of the Mark's, Mark Samuel who I adore. I'm just I'm thinking of mismatched people. Right, I know. Of- just like, it's so great. You don't see them every day and you like, you don't have, one doesn't have that energy anymore. One had when one was young. We're like, oh my God, I'll see you at the party on Thursday and then we'll be at brunch on Sunday and then we're all gonna go to the pool on Tuesday. Like when, or when I would literally have a day job and go out to three different fucking things every night. Yeah. Thir- what? No wonder I started doing speed. Well, what I've noticed uh,
0: from Mismatch is that it's not really competitive with each other. There oh. seems And they laugh at each other. Like, there's never that there's never a weird vibe of like, ooh, somebody was mad because they got a big laugh. Like, it never felt, it never feels competitive, which is kind of awesome. that's so
1: true. Yeah. That's so true. And also, I think part of it is not just our age and experience of all of us. And I don't know everyone that well. I mean, I'm talking about the people that I know. But we all pretty much know and love each other. And also, it's for charity. It's a benefit. Yeah. And I've always said about myself where in, in this, and I've, because I am I, very competitive and I have a real, you know, I love to win my version of winning. Um, because as I always say, you know, I've made my peace with the fact, like I didn't move here from one stoplight in the entire County, West Virginia and fight my, you know, <laughs> the line from Valley, of the dolls, I can't think of it now. Um, that's, you know, Helen Lawson says it's like scrapping and fighting and swinging and the punches come right, left and right, you know, left, right and down the center. Um, Getting beating my own drugs and pills and booze thing to, to lay here and take a nap. I have a lot of energy. I'm still very competitive. I'm still at it. But I've always said I want to win. Like on stage, not that it's a competition, but what I mean is like. I want to win, but I want all of us to win. I want everyone to go out there and be their absolute best, whether it's stand up or we're all doing golden girls together. We're all in an ensemble together, whether it's mismatch game. I want us all to win, you know, cause it's one of those, it's one of, I know it's not a sport or a competition, but it's one of those situations and you can language it differently. If you don't like the, my, the winning analogy. Sure. Like it's, it's something where we all win. We can all win. We can all be number one. We can all be the best. You know,
0: I love it. Um, have you decided who you're going to be at Mismatch Game? You're you're yes. coming up in October.
1: Yes. Do you want to Here's announce it? To okay. Yes. Okay. So, here, do you mean to do it now? Yeah. Do it. Well, I'm going to do because I'm shaving my beard for my shows on the eighth or ninth, and I need to grow it back because I'm I'm supposed we'll see. I you know I'm pinned for a million little things at the end of October. Hopefully, I'll I'll get to do it. Sometimes that stuff changes. But I have to grow my beard back, so I'll have a little bit of a beard on the eighth and ninth. So I'm going to do Old Lucy again because I can I can cover it with makeup and do Old Lucy. Gary, get the car. I love it. Bring me some more of the special water. So if you haven't seen it, guys, I do 1970s talk show Lucille Ball. Password Lucy.
0: Password Lucy. Oh gosh, she was so she was on Password, and it was very memorable. Um, Sam, tell people how they can see your show.
1: Um, it's called pancakes from the edge. You can come to my Instagram. It's in my link tree tickets for pancakes from the edge. You can Google pancakes from the edge on ticket spice. And it's also at the Lyric Hyperion theater. It's on their website, but the quickest thing to do is just come to my Instagram, the, at the Sam pancake. It's also in my Twitter bio. And it's also my Facebook page tickets are only 20 bucks. And, um, it's, it's, it's cooking along with the ticket sales, so get some tickets now.
0: Good. I need to take care of that. I love ticket spice. Ticket spice. Ticket spice. I know. It's so exciting! It's, it's wild.
1: the one we use. Not we learned from Jackie B, from Cavern Club. It's the one that we use now.
0: It's the hot. It's the hot ticketing thing for the artists. Um, I see. The Monday afternoon movie is a fun thing that you do.
1: Yes, it's a you podcast need to thing, a new right?
0: One. Oh, let's do it. Yes. I was uh, yes. looking at your past recent ones. It's a podcast where you do t- you talk about old kind of movies, 70s movies and stuff. There was such an obsession with teenage prostitutes in the 70s.
1: I know. Well, the thing is... We were obsessed
0: with teenage prostitutes.
1: And who knew? I mean, I remember some of them, but not all of them. It is rough. So it's called Sam Pankey Presents the Monday Afternoon Movie, and I initially started just covering those 70s TV only. I just covered TV movies because other than my friend Amanda, who I've become friends with the one other person, Amanda Race, in Austin, Texas, who's a professor of television at UT, and she does uh, Made for TV Mayhem. It's only me and her covering TV movies. So, and she wrote an amazing book about it called Are You in the House Alone, which is kind of my guidebook, because I just wanted to do the horror movies from the 70s, like Trilogy of Terrors and Don't Be Afraid of the Dark and all those great movies that I grew up seeing as a little kid that weren't available anywhere until on YouTube in the last, like, 10 years. So I covered those. But then this last season... After many requests and just doing, I want to do a pivot to a teenage wasteland and jump into all the, and you're younger than me, I know.
0: No, I don't think so. I'm older than
1: you. Okay, I'll I'll take it. Tomorrow's my birthday. Happy birthday. Thank you. Uh, um, So these movies, when we were little in the 70s, oh my God. Don, Portrait of a Teenage Runaway, Alexander, The Other Side of Dawn, all about sex workers, Little Ladies of the Night, sex workers, and then these Linda Blair joints, Sarah T, Portrait of a Teenage Alcoholic, which I remember back then, I've covered them, I'm co- naming ones I co- have covered or will cover in the podcast, and then this one, Born Innocent, which I am afraid to rewatch, in which Linda Blair, she's like, 13 or 14, she goes to Girls Reform School, and she gets horribly, sadistically abused, including she gets raped by a broom handle. I didn't see this back in the day. I remember the talk of the grade school, and I was talking to this young person, a buddy, comedian friend of mine on Instagram the other day. He was like, because I posted about Sweet Hostage, which is she gets kidnapped by our friend Martin Sheen, the aforementioned Martin Sheen, hot young Martin Sheen. And then she, like, he kidnaps her, and then they fall in love, obviously, because that's what happens, even though she's being held against her will non-consensually. And then, but he was like, this movie sounds wild. It's crazy. I'm like, oh, that's nothing. Check out Born Innocent. Like, and this is stuff that was just 8 o'clock on a Friday night with the family, watch the teen prostitutes. And Alexander, The Other Side of Dawn, which is about the gay one, and I watched it for the first time. It's only available on DVD. I got a hold of the DVD. And it's very gay. It's 1977 or 78 pre-AIDS, and Dennis, you should check it out. It's like, it's all about, they go to gay clubs and gay bars in L.A. in the 70s. Yes. And it's it's crazy. It's real gay men. Like, it was, and it's Lee McCloskey, who could not have been more. Oh, he's beautiful. Oh, my God. Angelically beautiful. Still looks great. Hey, someone pointed him out to, sent me to him on Instagram. I mean, on Facebook. Check his Facebook out. He's doing great.
0: Blonde, Um, right? Blonde and. uh Blondie. Like, he was a blonde guy. Blonde.
1: He's a silver yeah. fox now, but he still looks fucking fantastic. He yeah. Lives, he's kind of crystal hippie, Topanga, granddad, loves his family, beautiful. And then Charlene Tilton, Diary of Teenage Hitchhiker. Again, someone gets horribly raped and abused. It's,
0: it's crazy. crazy. And then even the so, comedies, like Little Darlings, Don't Let oh the Title God, Kill yes. You, and, like, Avenging Angel and Pretty Baby. Yes. Like, it was, we were obsessed with teenage people doing... It was- Sexy things.
1: And none of it consensual and like no. so much non-consensual sex. And so many, like, you know, I was, I was saying to this young friend because he was kind of amazed by all this stuff. But I was like, that's why people in my generation, I mean, hooray for trigger warnings. Whatever it takes, you, whatever you need to feel safe, great. Nowadays, we have all that wonderful consent. Of course, I didn't learn about that. I, I didn't realize all the non-consensual sex I had kind of had for many times in high in, not high school, college in my 20s and 30s. I won't get into those dark, some of those dark stories, but like save it for the
0: show, save it for the next show.
1: (laughs) Yes, I'm like I don't know if I want to do that even, but um, save it for therapies where 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 it belongs. (laughs) But um, oops. But anyway. just i was like people might just trigger warnings that's why you have people laughing and mocking and making fun of them I'm like in my day we you know we watched people get raped by broom handles around the kitchen table and went to church the next morning you know it was a di- it was a different time as you can attest
0: for sure okay final question sam how would you describe this time in your life relative to how things have changed in the culture and finding your place as an actor, and, and what's, what's noteworthy about it or moves you about it or, or frustrates you about it? What's it like?
1: Well, for me, in the bright siding, the optimism thing that I do, I, um, I try not to freak out about you know, lots of terrible things are happening politically. I won't get into all that. We know that. We know what's going on in this country and has been going on with Roe v. Wade and all and the, trans, uh, the trans rights and all the things that like, the fascists want to take away. But I, to feel safe and happy and to get through my days, I always go to how different things are than they were from uh, I was a kid. Watching these movies helps me realize that, too, where I am so grateful that I can wake up, again, we're in Southern California, I'm I'm in a bubble, like, you know, I have my life, and I'm happy to be in my bubble, because I go out of my bubble, back to West Virginia enough, you know, and to see that side of things. Not that there aren't great people there, too, but, like... I, I just am so, I'm so glad we have prep. I'm so glad we have AIDS medications. You and I both. I'm sure you have. I lost so many friends and, and acquaintances and people that I loved. Um, I watched them get very sick or or think they were going to die, and then they didn't. Thank God. All the shit we've been through as men our age. That I am. <laughs> <this> is, <laughs> that I can make a living as an out gay actor and just keep booking these jobs, having these fun, wonderful side gigs with my dear friends my dear funny hilarious talented friends like doing golden girls and other shows that I have access to theaters and stuff in which to do my stuff that my family's really happy and healthy things have changed so much and I love that the people are out there fighting and we all should be fighting and just making it keep making it better but my life is when I sit and really Dive into gratitude and appreciation. It is a paradise compared to how it was when I was little in terms of what I thought life, how, and I'm talking about homophobia. I'm talking about brutal homophobia, getting called queer, hearing the words queer and faggot or woman as the worst thing you could be, so misogynist every single day, getting, you know, gay, not, not physically, but just like being routinely walking down the street and being called a faggot out of a car, never feeling quite safe, always a fate of re, true rejection. By friends and family, if I came out back when I first knew as a kid or as a a teenager, like, I'm so grateful for how far we've come. Um, And I'm old enough to know and have had had front row seats to how far we've come. So for all that, I'm grateful.
0: I relate to that a lot. I just went to a, a class reunion in my little hometown, and I felt like I was able to be my whole self. My whole and and not only that, and they liked that gay stuff, like the gay jokes I would do when I emceed. Like they liked it, like yeah. it wasn't just like they were tolerating it. Like there's just a, there's I feel like I think you and I both sort of made the decision we were going to be true to ourselves, whatever yes. come what may. Yes, yes. And we're not gigantic. We're not nope. Super. Nope. I don't have a house in the hills. Whatever Neither it is, either. but I'm but I'm doing it. Yeah, and For that's the thing, the, and that's the reward.
1: The thing is, I um, this is another too thing, long. This is too long of a thing to get into, but I was having lunch right before COVID happened with a very famous, successful gay actor who didn't come out to way after he was famous, and he's been pretty supportive to me. But he said to me, "Why do you I have a question? You're so talented. Why do you think you never made it?" Oof. And it was like a punch in the stomach oh. because, and I had to, ha- I had this, I want to, oh. I know, I know, it mm. still hurts. I. Don't have time to go into. I'm, I'm writing about it. When I do my, if I ever finally fucking get all these essays done, and it was instructional, and I took it to learn from, and I think he meant well, and I know what he meant because he, his whole thing, I think, because he's a good person who's been nice to me. He's not a bully. Um, I think he meant like I think you should have what I had. And one thing I said to this person was like, you came out way after, like after your all your famous stuff, and after your series was over. I came out before I even started. Not that anyone cared or that I was on magazines or whatever. Like, I was just always chugging along. Day. I was like, that's very – and I gave him a lot of, like – he's also someone who's been very famous and rich for a long time, and they lose perspective, the best of them. They lose perspective, what it's like to be in the trenches, because um, they think they are on the, the trenches, and they are on their own level. But I just said, to me – I said, I, I do feel like I've made it. I feel very successful. Um I, I, I make my living as an actor. It's all I ever wanted. I don't have. I don't. I don't have. Guess what? I don't have any debt. Like I am very healthy. I'm glad I'm alive. I'm glad for all these things I've just said. I said, you know, I'm. Don't worry about me. Uh, I'll be fine. So. Wow.
0: That that story makes me like it really hits it a, a a part inside me. That I, there are things that still in the culture that I hear that I see related to people that I knew or had encounters with that like that, like, pushed that button. because I, I uh, Honey, yeah. Because oh, okay. I think, and here's why. Uh, I'll give you an example. Like, there was a person that, that that was kind of the profile that you described who I knew a little bit from before they got really famous. They had liked my first book and were quite complimentary oh, I, about I it.
1: I loved your, your first book. Oh, so
0: God. I saw this person at, I believe that it was a party at your house in the mid-2000s. Oh. This Uh-oh. said person was wasted, and I said... Uh, and, but he complimented me. He goes, oh, you're so good or whatever. And I said, well, let's do something together. And he goes, well, nothing gay because we want to make money. And then he walked on. And it, it, I could cry thinking about that right now because uh, I think it said to me, I'm playing the game this way. You're playing the game that way. Yeah. And they were winning at that time. But I thought down the line, things might turn around for me in that way. And they and the the, the ship quote unquote shift never did come in. Yeah. You know, and and this person is still very successful and very talented. But I thought I at the time I was like, okay, it'll all it'll all balance out in some karmic way or whatever. And it yeah. And it didn't. And it doesn't. And I I have to be okay with that. But that's the thing. Yes.
1: I think that I feel I very much relate to that on all those levels. Why did that comment
0: life? hurt me so much?
1: Yeah. Well it's it's like a person saying you should be ashamed of who you are. Yeah, I guess. Or make money. And it's about integrity. And some people ain't got it. And some people, the thing we all have to remember, I think, is who knows what that person feels inside. Who right. knows how it's sleeping no, at No,
0: exactly. No, and for
1: sure. All it's, it, it, who knows the misery inside. I've, I would still rather be me. I would still rather be me too. Like they, everyone has their own dark night of the soul. When I have my little my little moments like I did yesterday, I was like, oh, I didn't get this job, these little jobs. So the, the important thing to me was I always go back to I'm happy and I'm healthy. I love what I'm doing. I am on my own path. Keep your eyes on your own paper. You don't, you know, all the stuff we've learned and I've learned in program, don't compare and despair. All yeah. that stuff is true. I love it. All right. I'm going to uh,
0: let you go now, but here's one final question. Favorite line from Postcards from the Edge.
1: Oh, how do I pick? Howdy's Got Worms. That just pops into my mind. That's Mary Wicks' The Grandmothers. He, tried, he punched me the other day when I was trying to put a clean pair of pajamas on him. Um, she play, Oh, that's, There's just so many.
0: Mary I Wicks. I forgot she was in it.
1: She played The Grandmother. I don't know how right. you stand here. Everything one color. I can recite the entire movie. So. All right.
0: Well, then people need to go see your show. Sam, thank you so much. I appreciate it. And um, I I always love our conversations.
1: Me too. And I look forward
0: to uh, Password Lucy.
1: Yes, I'm excited. All right. Bye. Bye.
0: Thanks again to Sam Pancake. Go see his show, Pancakes from the Edge. It's October 8th and 9th. All right, so this happened. My friend Scott Williams was in town, who I've known since the mid-'80s. And we were dancers on cruise ships together. And uh, he was in town, and we went and saw Lady Bunny at the uh, Catalina Bar and Grill. And now, Lady Bunny, I've heard of for a long time. She's a legend in the New York drag scene. And her show is so filthy and irreverent and funny and fun. We just laughed our asses off. And uh, so Lady Bunny, like, so profane. Like, you do, you wouldn't know what to cancel her for first. And I think that's kind of her strategy, which is... Um, I don't know. There was something about it that just was, so it felt like um, a throwback kind of irreverence, which I appreciated. I loved it. It was packed, too. So many people there. Um, and Scott, by the way, was one of the producers on a show coming up called Huluween Extravaganza. I think it's called. Anyway, it's a it's a Halloween-themed show on Hulu featuring some of our favorite drag queens, many of whom have been on this podcast, like Jackie Beat. So um, maybe Jackie's the only one that's been on the podcast. But um, Jackie beats on it and did a lot of writing on it. And so watch for it. I think it's going to be amazing. The trailers look amazing. Lady Bunny is in it. And um, all these great drag queens. And the songs are catchy. I've already heard them on some Instagram clips. And I'm like, I got them stuck in my head. So watch for that when it comes on Hulu. And if Lady Bunny comes to your town, um, go go see Lady Bunny. Because you'll laugh your... Your face off, uh, like I did. Shout out to AJ Sousa for mixing the episodes, JB versi for his technical support. My theme music is composed by Mark Daniels for Placement Music. We'll catch you next time. I'm Dennis. Anyone. Bye.